0: We're going to be looking at um, from the Old Testament, from um, the book of um, First Chronicles, chapter twenty-nine, and focusing mainly on verses um, ten to twenty. But I'll slightly introduce um, uh, the context before we get there. You'll find that in um, page four. I can't quite quick, read that four three three in this. Um, your red Bible will be there if you want to follow. In the Bible, and basically, this, this is uh, we read Chronicles from three positions. Read it from people now who are reading this history book, which tells about the people of Israel from basically from Adam all the way to their exile and um, the rebuilding at uh, the exile into Babylon, and. Um, It tells us about the kings of Israel, King David, King Solomon. It tells us about how God blessed kings and how God didn't bless kings when they were bad and evil. And how God tried to win back his nation to them and to show them his love and say that you're my bride, I love you. And so God is always expressing his love to these people. And David's a fantastic guy, isn't he? You know, he, he's, he's, I mean, he's a mass murderer, isn't he, really? You know, God says you can't build a temple because your hands are too bloody. He <laughs> killed so many people in wars and battles and other things. And, um, he, you know, he, he, he got things wrong, didn't he? He wasn't perfect. You know, he, he committed adultery. He got the woman's wife, the woman's husband he committed adultery with killed. Oh my goodness me, it's going downhill all the way, isn't it? Yet God put David in place as king. Because there was something about David that even in his his um, frailty, and his humanness, and his weakness, and in his inability not to resist, <laughs> in the darkest parts of his soul, there was this always a silent that David loved God. He had a heart for God, a desire for God, a hunger for God, and even when he got it wrong, he would admit he got it wrong and come back and say, "God, forgive me. You know, rescue me from my sins. Lift me up. Take me back into Your presence again. Let me be with You again, God." And that's an amazing example for us, isn't it? You know, David's psalms reflect that, don't they? We have the psalms tend to be two halves. They tend to be uh, to be remorseful. I don't know about your week. But my week's been like two halves of a psalm, you know. The first half being, Oh Lord, woe is me. Slay me now, Lord. <laughs> just to take me away now. You know, we're a bit like that, isn't it? It can be difficult, can be challenging. It's like David and his psalms expressing, you know, Why have you forsaken me, Lord? Why are my enemies coming against me? Why do I feel this way? You know, where's my hope? Where's my desire? Are you here, Lord? Are you listening to me? Have you felt that way? <laughs> is it just me? Is it? <laughs> You just can't use the word express it. It's good. But then he seems to come to this place, woe is me, and why have you forsaken me? My enemies come against me, and then he's saying, but Lord, I want to be in your house and dwell in it all the day long. God, I know that you care for me. God, I know that you love me, Lord. I know that you have the best for me, Lord, that I, even though I'm going through this challenging, difficult time, that you want to raise me up and lift me up, and, and that you want to be with me and support me and love me, and I know that you are with me, and when you are with me, I will succeed and I will overcome no matter what the obstacle is. Amen? Not just David, not just me, but you as well, isn't it? Amen? Again? You can get into this. It's good. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord my whole day long. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes a table before me in front of my enemies as my enemies come against me and want to slay me. I'm eating dinner and not caring because I know that you're with me and I'm having my meal. And I'm worried about the chicken rather than about the guy who's trying to kill me. Isn't that amazing? You're more worried about your lunch than, well, that's church, isn't it? (laughs) But, um, you know, David was incredible. And I think God had a passion for David because David had a heart for him, a love for him. And I think that's amazing because God looks upon us, and He doesn't look to us be perfect. He doesn't look to us to have done everything right. We can get things wrong, but He's looking at our heart and saying, "When you get it wrong, when you fall down, when you when you go astray, when you when you get lost, when you're in despair, who do you turn to? Who would you go to? Who would you seek first? Who do you hunger for? Who do you desire? Whose presence do you want to be? Whose house do you want to dwell in the whole life?" And David knew that no matter where his life went and whatever direction it went in, he wanted to be in the presence of God. And he wanted the presence of God to be central to everything he did. Amen. And if we don't have the presence of God central to everything that we do in our lives, in our church, in our families, in our circumstances, then we're just being religion without power. And we weren't called to have a religion without power. We're called to have religion with power because we're endowed with the Holy Spirit that yet even David encountered David prophesied and the spirit came upon him, but he didn't know the spirit within him. And God's intimacy within his life. Yet we live in that power, that anointing that God has given us. And we live in a greater day that we're even greater than um, John the Baptist. <laughs> the John the Baptist is nothing compared to those who have the spirit of God within them. That's amazing, isn't it? That greater are you who has a Holy Spirit in you than the John the Baptist. But that means a change in perception, understanding, isn't it? It's a change in intention and in intentionality. Wait a minute, my life can be better. It can be different. It can be powerful. God's not calling me to be in a dead religion with a dead form of religion with no power. Amen. He's called us to be an alive religion. I mean religion, I mean the kingdom of God, living for Jesus, living for God. He's called us to be something living, powerful, real, magnificent, empowered by the Holy Spirit, which builds our character of love and peace and joy and hope informing the people that we are. And praise God, that's a working process, amen. <laughs> we'll get there one day. And he's empowering us with his Holy Spirit to be apostles and prophets and teachers and pastors and leaders and anointed. A transformer to people living in power. But how many of us accept a form of godliness without the power? How many of us accept a form of religion and ritual without the power? And the power is the presence of God. Of recognizing that power, of welcoming that power, of being a camping around that presence. As the Israelites did with Moses, they camped around the presence of God. With David, he brought the presence of God into the camp. He brought the presence of God into Jerusalem. So the presence of God was fundamental and around them. And they lived around that presence, amen. And so we're called to live around that presence, the power, the anointing of God. And when we don't do that, it's, it's dead. It's powerless and it's meaningless, and so David. This this, you've got the different. That's our context of how we're looking at it. But then you've got the person who's writing Chronicles, and this is a historian who's writing, maybe probably about six hundred, seven years, seven hundred years after David. And they're just come out of exile in Babylon. The people of God were taken into exile because of their sins to Babylon. But um, they were sent back to rebuild the temple and to rebuild Jerusalem. And so the chronicler who's writing now, he's writing now at the time of when they're rebuilding the temple. That's amazing, isn't it? And so when you, when I read this text, you're reading um, the words of a person who's writing history in the context of their building the temple they're putting the presence of god which they believe back into the center of jerusalem so that there may be a, a city of god again a place where god dwells that god's temple might be renewed but it wasn't just they want a magnificent temple the dream was that the presence of god would come into that temple and dwell with them again the presence of god would be with them and strengthen them and empower them and when the presence of, didn't, of God didn't calm down, the elders who remembered what the temple used to be like wept, because they saw a beautiful temple, but the presence of God wasn't there. And we should weep when we have church without presence of God. Amen. Without Holy Spirit, without power, we should weep because we know we know we know in this church. Do we? This is it just me? Am I delusional? But we know in this church what it is to have the presence of God, the power of God. Amen. We've seen God work, we've seen God bring healing, we've seen God bring salvation, we've seen God touching lives and healing and transforming. And do we want something less than that? No? Amen, we're getting excited now. We want something more. And those people, when they're building the temple, so they were looking back to David and said, look at David's passion, look at David's heart, look at David's understanding for the presence of God and what David was willing to do. To bring that presence of God into Jerusalem. To build a kingdom where the God was central. And God's presence was central to all they done. And so when we, when we talk about finances, it's not about financing buildings or, or staffing or, or other things. We're talking about financing that we may enable to camp ourselves around the presence of God. That we might build a kingdom a church, a people, a power, an authority which the, in this in little over in Derby where we're actually people who camp around the presence of God and facilitate God's presence and power to move and anointing in this place so we might see salvation and healing and, and the miraculous and the power of God moving a power of a way that people cannot deny that God is here. And David wanted the dwelling place where God would be honoured, but he wanted the presence of God. And so we want to finance and and support and build a a community here, a church, which is us, (laughs) who are the carriers of the presence of God. And we want to be people who come together to build a kingdom where the presence of God is central, which is impacting the community around us and transforming lives. Amen. And so when we talk about finance, it's not about accounts and two columns of lines. It's about building God's kingdom and power and glory and authority. The treasurer's laughing. He's going, it's about two lines. <laughs> but it's, a, it's about building God's kingdom. It's about saying, what do we bring to the table? What can we bring from ourselves, from our finances, from our gifts, from our life, from everything we do that we can build this kingdom here? And what are we willing to sacrifice and do to see that vision come through? Because if it's just about a building, if it's just about paying the minister or the staff, or all, it's boring, isn't it? You know, that, that's part of the boring stuff. You know, the treasurer has to do, Jeff has to do. But, it, but we're not doing it for that purpose. If we're doing it for that purpose, what's the point? We're doing it because we believe that God is building his kingdom here. He bring his presence here and he has a power and a vision for us that we're inspired by. And there are one purpose, of one mind, one vision to move more into the presence of God and see God do the work and God do the power and God move in this place. Amen. And that was David's desire. And he, so David himself, he um, he gets all these all these men, his leaders together, his soldiers, and and they march down in front of all the people with all the treasures <laughs> and all their wealth. And he's saying, "Look, I'm bringing my my gold, my wealth, my treasure to build." This, this temple for God. Not because of a glorious temple, but that actually the, the, the temple might reflect the glory that will be in it. <laughs> and he said, I, I'm, I'm bringing my, my goals, my, my treasure to build this temple. And then he saw his soldiers of a thousand men, his soldiers of a hundred men, then they have to bring their gifts as well to build this temple. Then the people bring their gifts to build this temple, that they may build this place where God will be central to them as a people in Jerusalem. That the temple will be central to them as a people, not because they have a glorious big temple, but because it represents God with them, the presence of God, and that they are a people who are camped around the presence of God, live around the presence of God, where the presence of God is central to everything. And so the people are willing to sacrifice to do that, to enable that to happen. And then he he he, he takes the offering and he's doing this because David's about to pass the crown on to Solomon and he's, his life is about to come to an end. And he's saying, you know, I want to enable this so when Solomon becomes king that this temple can become reality quick <laughs> and it can happen that That Solomon doesn't have to become king and fight the battles. The battles are fought and we're going to have this temple built. And Solomon can go and he can be the king with the temple there that we desire for God. And then, um, after they bring all these, all these officials, all these people who come who give, um, who who give willingly towards the work of the temple of God, um, they bring all the talents and bring all the money. They brought all that money and the people rejoiced. They didn't cry. It says here, the people rejoiced. Amen. How many of us rejoice when we do the offering? You know, we should do the offering. Should should we start doing the offering again where we rejoice doing it? We can bring it up front and you can come rejoicing with your gifts and your offerings. And go, yeah, praise the Lord. I'm so happy to be given into the work of God. Are we too British for that, are we? yeah. (laughs) But there is a box at the back, an envelope, so (laughs) you can rejoice that way by putting in that way. It's good. And um, the people rejoiced at these offerings. And then, as is is proper, once David received all the offerings, he said a prayer. (laughs) And now now we're going to look at his prayer that he said. It's very beautiful. David praised the Lord. This is from verse 10 in chapter 29. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying... Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father, Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty, and the splendor, amen, isn't it, that's, that's what we should talk about God, there's no other way we should talk about God, David just tells it, you know, when we're here, and we're praying, you know, we should be saying, the splendor of God, the power of God, the glory of God, how amazing God is, how incredible God is, God, you are just, um, just, we just had, we, we ran out of words to describe how amazing you are, isn't it, and David just describes that, you know, that's who we're in the presence of, isn't it, sometimes we don't get that as church, whose presence we're in, do we, You know, we think we're in our own presence. (laughs) We think it's just us, don't we? But we're in the presence of God, and we're in the presence of God. We want to tell him, like Davis says, you are glorious, you are magnificent, you are everlasting to everlasting. You You are just the most wonderful, incredible God that we could ever imagine, and we just want to glorify you. For everything in heaven and earth, is yours david recognizes that everything in heaven and earth is yours is it ours doesn't matter how much we've got isn't we're born with nothing we'll die with nothing (laughs) you know that's the reality work hard to have nothing isn't that great (laughs) fantastic you might leave it to a generation but you end up with Nothing, because nothing belongs to you. Nothing will stay with you. You can't take anything with you. But for God, it's God's from everlasting to everlasting. And when we're in God's kingdom, in God's power, God's authority, when we focus our resources, our life, on God's resource, God's kingdom, God's reality, God's eternity, we're building something eternal, aren't we? So many times we spend our time in focusing burn, building something temporal that's going to pass away when we pass away. But God's called us to build something from everlasting to everlasting. God's called us to build something that will be for eternity. God's called us to bring people to faith who will have salvations, who will see families from generation to generation to generation to generation worshiping God because one decision person made today, isn't that amazing? Isn't that eternal? And that's a person who makes a decision today for Christ who will see in heaven. That's eternal gold, treasure, mighty. That's the reward that Christ died for on the cross, that people may know him and believe him. And we don't want to see the miraculous, the supernatural, God's healing and power just for the sake of God's healing and power. That's wonderful. But we want to see it, that people might be witness to God moving so they might believe in Christ and accept him as Lord and Savior so they may have received an eternity and not just a temporal healing but a physical reality of eternity with Christ and the Father's kingdom because we're building something eternal here as well. LMC will one day pass away. But the impact it's made in eternity will not. Do we get that? Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Amen. That's a hard one to get our heads around, isn't it? Because we want to be exalted overall, don't we, all the time? And actually, He's He's exalted overall. He's the head. He's who we listen to. He's the one who guides us. He's the one that we give authority to. Wealth and honor come from you. Wow. So if you're wealthy, it's come from God. (laughs) And if you're wealthy, you've got responsibility. (laughs) God's given you this wealth. How do you use it? If you're not wealthy, still, how do you use it? (laughs) How do you use it for God's purpose in God's kingdom? Everything, where the position we're in, as here as minister, as a steward, as a leader in the church, whatever, and leader in the community, leader in your workplace, be it servant in your workplace, it's God who's given you that honor, that wealth, that place, and you live for God and serve for God's glory whenever you do. And everything that you have is for God's honor, God's glory, God's purpose. In your hands are strength, and power to give, to exalt and give strength to all. That's what we need, isn't it? Do you know, I've seen wealthy people who are weak and sick and depressed and hurting. How many celebrities take their own life because they can't cope anymore yet they seem to have everything in the world fame, money, everything yet they have no strength they have nothing to live for They have everything and become dull to everything because what more is there for them to achieve or to have? Because we think having money and having wealth and having things will give us satisfaction. But it's God who gives us the strength. It's God who gives us the honor. It's God who gives us the position in his kingdom. It's God who gives us the strength to live and to go on and carry on because we're living for Him in His glory and His eternity. He gives us the power because the only power we have comes from Him. Amen? We can rely on ourselves, but the strength and power comes from Him. His anointing, His power, His gifting, His spirit. It works through us. We have to humble ourselves and say, I'm ready to be used by you for your purpose, for where you are. And what we say in the covenant prayer, for whatever purpose, well you used me well you set me aside well you put me in high places or low places well you well I'm in poverty well I'm in riches I'm going to serve you and do your will and for your purpose and for your glory now our god we give you thanks and praise your glorious name but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generally as this, generously as this. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Amen. Don't think you're giving anything to God, you're only giving to God what came from God's hand in the first place. You're disrespecting them by giving it back for his purpose and his will. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent, and now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the whole hearty devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees and to do everything to build this temple structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praise the Lord, the God of the fathers. They bowed down prostrating themselves before their Lord and their King. That's a prayer. That's a prayer, isn't it? That's a prayer. That, that's powerful. How many times do we feel the end of prayer to be fall down and praise our God prostrating before him? Then recognizing his presence, his glory. To humble ourselves before God and say everything comes to you and keep in our hearts this desire to serve you keep in our hearts this kingdom idea keep in our hearts to build eternity keep in our hearts to bring people to salvation keep in our hearts to build your kingdom your purpose for your glory for your honour and humble us as we praise and worship you that we prostrate ourselves and humble ourselves before you and not stand proud thinking it's all about me or all about you or all about us but it's about how we honor and worship and glorify you and how our lives are bowed down before you and every aspect of our lives honor you and glorify you and declare your name. That even when we come giving to the church, we end up lying flat on our face and worship, glorifying the one we're given to. Amen. So that's a different way of giving, isn't it? We should pray that every time we give, a, we, the next time we have an offering, whenever that'll be. <laughs> but just to make you aware, we do. We 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 don't. We want people to feel comfortable, so when they come to church, so we don't take an offering because about seventy-five percent of people give by standing order. <laughs> so when we put the bag around, it's like three or four people put in. But what we do say, so we have a box at the back, and oh, most people forget there's a box in the back. There's envelopes there. So you know, if you feel, you, oh, I don't have a way of giving in the church. That's the that's way of giving. Or you can see Jeff at the back. Jeff, do you want to stand up? Or are you too shy? Okay, too. Jeff's a treasure. So if you haven't got a standing order and you feel that you want to give something, see Jeff. He'll sort you out, give you details to do it. So our, our, our envelopes at the back there, you can give. So we want, we giving is worship. You know, and that, that we don't want to miss, um, you misunderstand that as a church, as we give you hospitality. We don't want you to miss out the opportunity to worship by giving. We don't want to take that away because our, our, our giving is worship. So that, that's important. So we praise God for, for his word. We give praise God for David. Isn't that exciting? Can you imagine these people reading that as they're rebuilding the temple They came out of exile? You know, Jerusalem's in ruin. The walls are down. Their enemies are coming against them. And as they read that prayer from David, my goodness me, they must have started building that temple quick. fighting their enemies and saying yeah let's let's rebuild this temple let's make it for the glory of god again as it was in the time of david and do we not have the same i have that in my heart now to say let's do this again let's build this temple let's 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 seek this presence of god that, that will camp upon us and live upon us and be amongst us and 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 all aspects of our life because Not only are we the church here, and and the the presence of God comes special here when two or three are gathered together, but when we go, we carry that presence. That presence is within us and lives within us. And so it means as you go into your your homes and your families and your workplace, your colleagues can camp around the presence of God around you. (laughs) You just have to allow the presence of God to manifest in you and through you so that they actually think, I'm camping around the presence of God, not Gary. (laughs) That they may experience that presence of God, that power, that prayer of David through your life as you live sacrificially for God's purpose, God's kingdom, his glory.